Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. 1976's The Shaggy DA, the 19th and final film directed by Robert Stevenson for the Walt Disney Motion Picture Company finds the king of 60s and 70s live-action Disney, Dean Jones, playing Wilby Daniels, who, for reasons too complicated to get into during this short introduction, keeps transforming into a dog while trying to run for district attorney. Yes. And Michael and I watched this movie. We watched the, I watched the heck out of it, Kevin. Quickly, I want to say that this movie is packed with recognizable faces. I'm not going to say it's packed with stars. No, no, it's not so much stars. But it's packed with people you know. It was a night of a thousand people who have been in other movies. (laughs) Before he struck gold with his dwarf franchise, Tim Conway's in there. I mean, you got to get Tim Conway in there. He's the the comic relief. He's going to break up He's going to break up the monotony with some sweet one-liners. Literally every character in this movie is the comic relief. Like, I would say the the most common trait amongst every character in this film, no matter how big or small their part is, is bumbling. Yes. We got a little Dick Van Patten. Who doesn't love Van Patten? You've got a Vic Tabak from Alice, from Mel's Diner. Come on, Vic Tabak. He never made a bad picture. (laughs) Suzanne Plachette plays uh, Dean Jones' wife from the Bob Newhart show. Yeah. And she and Dean Jones were in in some other, like, of these live-action Disney movies together. They're in uh, Million Dollar Duck. Were they they in the Million Dollar Duck together? No, I think Million Dollar Duck was Dean Jones and Sandy Duncan. Uh, Well, all right. (laughs) uh, They were in uh, The Ugly Dachshund, and they were in... Think Blackbeard's Ghost together. Nice. Blackbeard's Ghost. Kevin, I wasn't sure how far into into this particular episode I should wait to get to this, but I will tell you the funny the funniest thing to me about the viewing of this movie, which I had never seen before. I saw the Shaggy Dog when I was, you know, when I was a kid and I had the Disney Channel. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Until this viewing at 48 years old, I was under the completely mistaken impression that the D- the DA in Shaggy DA stood for uh so in the in like the 50s and 60s when the greasers like you know like um like all the guys from the movie Grease had that slicked back haircut. My father used to refer to that as a duck's ass haircut. Because of the way that you kind of comb the back over, it looks like a duck's butt. And he would tease me as a little kid saying he was going to he was going to bring me to the barber and give me a, a D.A. And so I based solely on that completely constructed the idea that this movie was about a young, like tough teenage greaser in the 60s 
with a DA haircut who then transformed into a shaggy dog and was very surprised when I found out that what the plot is, is that he's actually running for district attorney and that it has nothing to do with a duck's ass haircut and that I had completely constructed that like as as little, you know, when you're a little kid and you don't have a lot of information, so you just sort of like decide you're filling in the blanks. I'm filling in the blanks. And I'm, until the year 2023, I was under the impression that the Shaggy DA was about a tough teenage greaser with a DA haircut. It's a big, confusing world out there. It is. For young Michael. And who can blame him for making that leap? <laughs> I, although, like, the Walt Disney Company in the 1970s, I mean, this is a company that uh, felt calling um, a film That Damn Cat was a bridge too far. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. They had, well, they had to break it down to that darn cat. So calling something the shaggy duck's ass, I think, um, would not have been – Walt probably stipulated in his will like that that was not to be done. The last thing he wrote, the last two things he wrote were – Hurt Russell and do not call the film Duck's Ass. Shaggy Duck's Ass. And then it went, Ugh. and they were like, why would he bother to write out? That, that is like an urban legend that the last thing Walt Disney wrote was Kurt Russell. Yes, you, you revealed that in our our uh, Santa Claus fucks movie uh Starring Kurt Russell, and I think that's one of my very most favorite things that I've ever heard in my life. That I'm weirdly uh, interested in this era of Disney filmmaking because there's there really aren't movies released theatrically like this now. I think I should give a little background because you had mentioned the Shaggy Dog. Yeah. We have not said on the podcast that the Shaggy DA from 1976 is a sequel to 1959's The Shaggy Dog, um, which starred Fred McMurray, and it starred uh, Tommy Kirk, who had been in, like, Old Yeller as, like, a, the teenage kid who becomes the Shaggy Dog. And Dean Jones is playing the same person that T Tommy Kirk played, only as a middle-aged man. Yes. I should note that uh, the reason, one of the reasons Tommy Kirk is not in this movie is because... Uh, Disney unceremoniously like dropped him from his contract when they found out he was gay. Oh, that's which terrible. fucking sucks. And Dean Jones was being cast in literally every film they they <laughs> yes. released. So, so you gotta go with uh, gotta go with DJ there. But the shag, the original Shaggy Dog, was the most profitable film of 1959. Really? <laughs> um, and it was the most profitable film Disney had ever made up to that point. And it kind of set this template Disney had of like, we're going to make these family-friendly comedies. And what they wound up doing was they would cast actors from TV on summer hiatus because they didn't have to pay them much, but there are people, right. folks that people knew. They used these same sets over and over again, which is why... They all take place in kind of the same middle America looking town. Um, I even think like the name of the town is the same as in like some of those Kurt Russell computer war tennis shoes movies. Sure. The town of Medfield. Medfield. And the they were like kind of made low budget enough that apparently like you could get by on like if it did sort of like middling business, 
like enough parents would take their bored kids to matinees and then they could show it on wonderful world of Disney and it would, you know, and that was fine. Yeah. It would make its money back, but every so often something would hit big and you, then you'd make like a lot more. Right. Money. Well, that, that's the, 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 the distinct impression that I got watching this movie was that they shot it over a weekend for $85. <laughs> like, like there's, there is nothing to that movie. Like it's like clearly, you know, uh, it you know it looked a lot like you know the Warner Brothers lot, where it's like you know th- a little street with like three houses, and the backs of those houses are the police station and the you know and the and the the, the storefronts or whatever, and a lot of gr- like like early whatever it's it's not green screen right, but it's like them literally in front of a screen where they're like driving a car. That I feel like was just how people drove cars in movies then. Right, they just hadn't mastered that. I mean, Hitchcock has that. Right. And Hitchcock was much like uh, in our previous installments uh, <laughs> with regard to Stanley Kubrick and Martin Scorsese. Hitchcock knew what he was doing. He, he, he was he was all, he was he was a pro. Let's face it. A hot take. I know it's it's hard to criticize the special effects in this too much because I feel like it was 1976. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not even criticizing them. I'm. It's just like I said. It just to me. It like as I was watching the movie, I was like, oh yeah, this is like. This was filmed over a week and a half, <laughs> and they, you know, let's make it snappy. Robert Stevenson made 19 live-action films for Disney. This was the last one. He died after making this. Um, but he he had directed, I think, Mary Poppins, which is obviously a movie that I think they they put a bit more, like, oomph behind. I think that was Walt's, that was Walt's big right. play to try and get an Oscar. But I think by the time of the Shaggy DA, they had settled into this, like, you know, the the kids will see it. We'll put it on Wonderful World of Disney. It'll be We'll crank out this. Then we'll do another Love Bug movie. Yep. We'll just grind them out. It's interesting. And um, like Dean Jones is in a ton of these. I like originally uh, Fred McMurray was in a lot of these. Like he was in the he was kind of the the dad, the bumbling dad in the original Shaggy Dog. And then he went on to make like those absent minded professor flubber movies. Apparently, because like, I don't know if you've seen like a lot of Fred McMurray movies. He is at his best playing an asshole. But he does it in um, Double Indemnity. And he does it in The Apartment. And those are his two best movies, like by far. But I think he had a problem playing characters like that. So he was like, I'm going to do like family friendly stuff. So he started doing these Disney movies. He started doing... um the My Three Sons show. And he was like, and I think Dean Jones similarly, mm-hmm. like, got into this lane where he was going to, he didn't want to do stuff with a lot of edge. I mean, the closest I think he came was Dean Jones was in the original Broadway cast of Stephen Sondheim's company. So he's on the cast album. He played Bobby, um, but he mm-hmm. left that show like very early in its run. And I think, I don't know if he was just like, like, this is a little too adult. There have been no pie fights. Throughout this play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like as an actor, I mean, if you, God, I mean, that's got to be kind of a, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's, they're not like the big money projects, but if you're, if you're one of the stars of a live action Disney movie that you filmed, I keep exaggerating, but I mean, I can't imagine the film was in production for more than a, a month or two. You know what I mean? Like you can knock that shit out over the summer. And I like when when I when it went when I when the movie finished and it went to like other movies and it was like I realized like you said it was every other one 
of those 60s and 70s live action Disney movies. I'm like, well, that, that you've built a you've built an empire there. You, if you can get on that, if you can get on that that wagon, you got to just ride it out for all it's worth. He did a ton of these, too. I mean, uh, that darn cat, all those Herbie Lovebug movies. Yeah. Which when I was a kid, I loved Herbie the Lovebug movies. Mm hmm. Who didn't? I mean, they're great, fun movies. It's funny. I didn't realize. I think this is a conversation we may have had. I didn't realize all those 60s Disney animated films were considered sort of like the dark, low budget days of Disney. Because those are all my favorite movies, all like the Aristocats and uh, Lady and the Tramp and the Sword and the Stone that has that like real kind of kind of like rough hewn hand drawn look, you know the Robin Hood movie. All those movies, those are my favorite ones. But in the in the grand scheme of Disney films, those are considered like they were just churning those out low budget style and and were not you know very well received or whatever. But I can't imagine like those are the funnest ones. They're sort of they seem sort of more quick and dirty to me. I think those films that you're talking about, like Lady and the Tramp and the Aristocats, I do think they're they're not as held in the high regard that say like Pinocchio or right. Snow White are. And I, I think part of it is um, a lot of them were made like after Walt died, right, right, or like you know they're based on notes from Walt. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think they're. I think the Disney animated stuff that's really looked at as as like the fucking dregs are the stuff right before the Little Mermaid Disney Renaissance stuff. I think you're Oliver and Company, um, Great Mouse Detective. Like, that stuff is... Those are the movies where, like, when Disney started getting, like, more and more corporate, they were seriously looking at shutting the animation division down. Jesus, can you imagine? And I think Little Mermaid was sort of their last play. Really? To save the animation department, and it, it, it worked. Well, it's true. I mean, yeah, there is a marketed, like, level, a marked level up at that point where, you know, those are the movies of, of, a, of a younger generation than ours. But all of a sudden, they were making these, like, big epic animated movies again. But I just, I remember, like, maybe they reissued all of those 60s ones and, like, put them back in the theaters in the 80s. They absolutely did. Disney would always cycle through re-releases of their movies like that. I think the Shaggy Dog had a re-release in the late 60s that did really well, which is one of the reasons why they were like, oh, maybe we should uh, revisit for the Shaggy DA. And I get, like, if you look at Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, like, that movie is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Um, same thing with Pinocchio. And, like, when Snow White came out, there had never been a feature-length animated movie. Really? That was... And Snow White's kind of a... That was wow. the first one, and everyone thought that uh, Disney was insane for doing it. Um, and, you know, that that's kind of a weird movie. Like, when you look at it now, it's all the stuff with the dwarves is very – seems a lot like you're watching kind of a Merry Melody short. Right, right. Or, like, well, I guess Disney's were sim Silly Symphonies. So it's, it's, still try it's still, like, using the language of the short cartoons in parts. Right. Um, and I felt like Pinocchio is when they really figured it out. Like Pinocchio is like a breathtakingly animated movie, I would say. I don't think I've seen Pinocchio since I was a little kid. That would be one to revisit. I mean, it's possible that, you know, because I have kids, I have watched a lot of these. Sure. Of late. And also because I'm a 
nerd. <laughs> I will say, you know, obviously with a, with a lot of when you revisit, when you, when you have your own kids and you revisit the stuff from your youth, you know, there's always the danger. There's going to be stuff that hasn't held up well mm-hmm. that you didn't think of. And I would say with Disney, there has been some of that. Like Dumbo is way more racist than I remembered. Right. But Pinocchio was, I, I remember there's a scene in Pinocchio where Pinocchio God, we're going on a tangent here. Um, yeah. Pinocchio has been, uh, you know, he's performing in like the marionette show. He's been like taken by the puppet people. And they're like, they're having Pinocchio performance, but I've got no strings stuff. And it's like, and now Pinocchio will take you on a tour of the nation's cultures. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. And it was actually fine. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. yeah so, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I'm, in, I'm going through my mental Rolodex of like things that would probably not hold up really well. And if, yeah, you're right. If they, if they announce that, you're bracing yourself for like, what the fuck am I about to see? I remember when they reissued Fantasia. My dad took us, me and my sister, to see Fantasia, and I didn't get it until the the hippo ballet part and then the Mickey Mouse, the Sorcerer's Apprentice stuff. But, like, the rest of that movie with all the sort of a weird ethereal, like, color studies and stuff, I was super bummed out. And then a few years later, I rewatched it. It was like, wow, this is fucking amazing and i think fantasia is one of those movies that benefited from one of those re-releases especially once lsd became popular in the 60s yes yeah yeah i think it was it was not very well received when it first came out right Uh, i don't think so i think um it's weird because especially during like world war ii uh disney was putting out movies that were sort of like too short stitched together with like charlie mccarthy antics yes (laughs) (laughs) I, there's like a movie I think called Footloose and Fancy Free, and it's it's like hosted by Jiminy Cricket and Charlie McCarthy, and then there's like a Mickey and the Beanstalk and something else. It's right, right. You don't hear about that one so, as much as Cinderella. <laughs> yes, maybe not, maybe not quite as much. You you mentioned like you know going back and watching movies from when you were a kid, and there the the one thing that's sort of like a theme. Anytime I watch a movie that was I was very into as a kid, is that when you watch it as an adult. It's it almost seems like there are scenes missing mm-hmm. because it feels like you're like you're it's like you're half remembering it. But then but then you realize like that that's because they didn't really feel the need to put much of a plot or much of a reasoning behind everything. It really is sort of this disconnected series of wacky scenes that they just sort of edit together and call a movie. Or occasionally, like there will be children's movies that you revisit and you're like, this is a really I mean, this is the obvious example, but like The Wizard of Oz. Well, right. I would yeah, say I mean, absolutely holds up. Um, but even something like the, the 1980 Flash Gordon, I watched with my kids. And when I watched that as a kid, I took it completely seriously. Right. And my kids took it completely seriously. But I watched it now and I'm like, this movie is ridiculous. And it knows it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Right. It, it, it's very aware. that It's like, okay, we're going to just go right for it. Like we're, we're dialing everything up to 11. Yes. I think... Uh, you know, something like the Shaggy DA does the same thing. There's not a lot of method acting in this. <laughs> There's a lot of shenanigans. Yeah. There's a lot of tomfoolery. And I dare say a lot of hijinks. I mean, Kevin, let's face it. We got we got some roller derby going. We got a 
like you mentioned, a pie fight. You, you've got, I love, I love that Suzanne Blachette's character sort of just is like, well, he'll figure it out. Like she kind of disappears for half the movie. Like, whatever. My husband, the the potential district attorney, seems to keep turning into a dog. I'll I'll I'll, I'll see you when you figure it all out, honey. <laughs> I love it. even off the top of the film. The film starts with uh, two men robbing Dean Jones's house. And their big, like, scheme to rob his house is they have a moving van. And they load the entire fucking house into this moving van for six hours, we learn from uh, Dean Jones's next-door neighbor, the Admiral, who comes over to offer them uh, draft beer. Yeah, yeah. here, drink this beer and then get behind the wheel of a truck. <laughs> uh, then, you know, Dean Jones and Suzanne Plachette and their kid come home. And it's like the Grinch has visited yes. their house. Like, <laughs> the robbers were not looking for, oh, what are the high price items that we can sell? No, we're taking fucking everything. Yeah, they took the jar of pickles right out of the fridge. <laughs> and then and then they return that evening to steal the very clothes off of their back, Kevin, in a bold, bold move. Like, you gotta be like... Which, you, you know, what if, uh, what if Dean had installed a security system in that or, or just stayed awake to stay yeah it's uh it's good stuff yeah i like that the the the, the colonel is like a retired military guy the admiral. who at no point oh, sorry the admiral at no point because he lives in a in a whimsical nautical themed house and at no point does he become suspicious that he hasn't had a conversation about his longtime neighbor up and moving away he simply offers them each a, a cold beer and goes on with his life. Is unable to provide descriptions to, say, a police sketch artist. Sure. Nope. No, that's... But what this does do is it spurs Dean Jones into action to run for district attorney. Because he realizes that the current district attorney, played by uh, Keenan Wynn, who I know best as the voice of the Winter Warlock in Rankin Bass's Santa Claus is Coming to Town. <laughs> but who has been in a ton of other stuff. But I was originally like, it's winter. <laughs> Call me winter, please. Fantastic. Keenan Wynn is like is has is tied to mob boss Vic Tabak. Uh they're working together, uh doing crime. So, right. so Dean Jones is gonna blow this wide open. But what no one had anticipated was that a magic ring was going to be found by Tim Conway, <laughs> I guess, as an ice cream truck vibe driver. And the ring turns Dean Jones, if you read the inscription on the ring, it turns Dean Jones into a big, woolly sheepdog who can talk. Sometimes he's an actual dog. Sometimes he's a man in a dog suit. Sometimes he's a puppet. But it's always awesome. Him, <clears throat> the guy, the stunt guy in the dog suit, punching the guy in the face and then jumping out the window. He punches Dick Van Patten in the face. <laughs> he, he punches Dick Van Patten in the face and then slides down a rope in a dog. And I was thinking to myself, this is quality cinema. That was, and then they, like the, the, the aforementioned roller derby sequence with, with, uh, uh, again, it was very much like, um, it, it reminded me very much of like Teen Wolf, it was just a guy covered in white fur. <laughs> Wearing a roller derby outfit, roller skating on two legs. Yep. In the roller derby. The dog 
competes in in case you're wondering if you should watch this movie or not i will say the dog competes in roller derby i mean i don't understand why you would i mean kevin there's skateboarding in it i do have to say at the end when dean jones's kid is on the skateboard hunting down uh Wilby as the dog and tim conway i was saying to myself please let this dog get on this fucking skateboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was that would have been almost like our thesis statement if the dog if the dog if the shaggy DA got on the skateboard and there was an action sequence where that would have been like all right, I think we we've finished this podcast. <laughs> but but on on we continue. But he didn't. So the only person who skateboards is uh Dean Jones and Suzanne Plachette's Weisenheimer's son, who's kind of like a chaos agent. I like how he, yeah, like he makes Tim Conway recite all forty-seven flavors of ice cream, and then just is like, "I'll have vanilla." It's like it's like they cast Mark LeBeau as the son. In this <laughs> yes, movie. He's, he's a bored suburban kid who's like, "All right, I'm going to find my own fun." And that brings us, Kevin, to I think one of my favorite sort of discoveries about skateboarding when it when it's featured in movies is i and i you know again i can't this is all just sort of conjecture on my part but i think one of my favorite sort of like mini discoveries about our journey to watch movies with skateboarding in it is that i i often love when it seems as though the skateboard is chosen as a mode of transportation for the kid because the kid himself or themselves enjoy skateboarding in real life because you can tell that that kid knows his way around a skateboard that's his skateboard very much like kenny and company very much like the kid in uh in um the 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 commitments that kid when he's rolling around on that skateboard that's his board he's got a little wiggle move that he that he uses when he rolls into the into the garage early in the movie He's got a little bit of style on that board, and I love to see it. I think that tracks, and I, th- I think like that kid is doing what he feels comfortable with. He's riding the skateboard, much like how in the movie Suzanne Plachette feels most comfortable dressing like a character from a 1980s nighttime soap opera. Yes. So <laughs> everyone's got their – everyone's free to do what they're best at. Tim Conway is gets to do a lot of comic business. I'll say at one point, uh, there's like a little running gag where uh, be, Dean Jones as Wilby turns into the dog. And as the dog, he can talk and humans can understand him. And there's a whole run of Tim Conway keeps bringing Wilby into the bar saying like, we're going to be rich. We're going to go into show business. Like talk dog. And in between him, like bringing the dog in, uh, the dog becomes a, a, a regular dog again. And Dean Jones becomes human. And I felt like that was the one bit where the film was maybe flying a little too close to the sun, because do you really want to invite comparisons to the Chuck Jones animated short one froggy evening? Because it was basically that. Yeah, it's Michigan J frog. And he he just decides not to to sing when it's time to. <laughs> to, have to... And I'll say like, like in all of cinema, there may be like no more perfect seven minutes than one froggy evening like it is flawless 
So I mean, I guess, you know, steal from the best, but I, I was like, you don't want to invite comparisons to this. I, I too recognize that. I was like, man, that that's, yeah, that's dangerous territory. Uh, I liked Wilby's son on his skateboard wearing his comically oversized radio headphones. Yes. That were like on his cheeks, not even really on his ears. <laughs> uh, I really liked the transformation effect. Yep. Into the dog where he's sometimes he's half Wilby, half dog. They do it all with dissolves. I like that he immediately, after turning to dog the first time, like talks to Tim Conway right away. Right. I don't know. I generally was very much in favor of this movie. I think like in terms of meeting it where it is. Yeah. Like, I think this movie successfully checks all the boxes it needs to. Yeah. I watched the movie. I'd sat and watched it and laughed at the pie fight. And <laughs> there's a one point a pie uh, hits the winter warlock and he's smoking a cigar and the cigar is sticking out of the other end of the pie. That is that's like there's a like like you said the dog punches Dick Van Patten in the face. That's that's pretty magical. It's pretty great. I like when a dog catcher has a comically oversized net. I liked the, that the dog catcher was voiced by the same person who voiced Piglet in the Winnie the Pooh cartoons that Disney put out. That that's I I, I meant to look that up because I immediately recognized his voice and then neglected to. But yep, that's the guy who does the voice of Piglet. I like I like that it takes a weird dark turn where uh, Winter Warlock essentially like plots to have will be Daniels as a dog euthanized. Right. And then, and then it turns to like, he's open firing at a human being. He's like a- attempting to commit murder in the first degree to stop his opponent from running for district attorney. Like, whoa, whoa, man. <laughs> oh no, I guess he is, a, he is linked to the mob. So I guess that would be, that would be uh I guess, acceptable mob guy behavior. I also did notice that in the in the production of the movie, there were a couple of stunts that were downright dangerous. There was one, you know, this is the 70s, things were a little looser, but there's one scene where Dick Van Patten is like standing by like an, you know, like an opening in a building and the van backs out and does like a crazy like three-point turn, like a biscuit away from his his face like the 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 rearview mirror like you could see the wind go by you're like man that's that was <laughs> that was legitimately dangerous well there's a reason they call dick van patten the jackie chan of the states <laughs> you saw it right on the screen there was also in the pie fight uh one of the people gets hit square in the face but with like the edge of the plate, <laughs> not with the flat edge of the pie, or the flat side of the pie. And I, you know, and you could see the person physically wince like, oh, shit, that got me. And I was like, oh, man, that was but they didn't cut. You know what? All pro didn't call cut. Acted through the pain, Kevin. I, I feel like they always uh, the, the movie like always tries to go a little bit more than it needs to. Like it would have been fine for the talking dog and Tim Conway and the little kid to escape in the Jeep after Vic Tabak was literally trying to shoot them to death with a gun. Yes. But no, the, the Jeep somehow has to back into an orange spray paint machine. So they all get covered with paint 
and feathers before they run out. Right, there's a, it's a paint machine that gets turned on by being backed into, and then for no apparent reason, there's a pallet of I mean, I, feathers. feathers leading to them becoming orange and covered in feathers, which is, I mean... It's it's a it's a recipe for good times, but you're right, possibly overplaying its hand a little bit. Um, I, I I think it's interesting that for Disney at least, this has kind of a post Watergate. Like I, I feel like if this were early, if this were in the '60s or '50s, there's no way a Disney movie would have an elected official who is tied to organized crime. That's true, and I think that is like, oh, we're post Watergate now. People are a little more cynical about our elected officials, even Dean Jones and the Walt Disney Company. I'll tell you what I didn't like was the terrible uh, movie star impersonations in The Dog Pound. Oh, man. That was rough. I felt like that, like suddenly the, the pacing gets a lot more slack and this movie gets a little too in love with this dog sounds like Peter Lorre, and this dog sounds like Mae West. In this song, this dog sounds like Humphrey Bogart. Like it's um I was first of all, like if you're if you're watching that as a kid, you don't know who those people are. Well, that's for the parents, Kevin. You gotta give a little nod to the parents. So, and if you're watching that as a parent, you're like, you know, we get back to the dog guy in the dog suit punching people in the face. <laughs> like, I, I don't know who that was for. I'm not sure. I mean, you know what, Kevin? Maybe that was just for the writers. They were like, we're going to have a good time with this. I I do think that the uh, the tele the telepathy of knowing when the winter warlock uh, put on a gruff face and had a cigar in his mouth and then like held onto his briefcase. The odds of the camera turning away from him and turning back and he was not only going to be a dog, but a bulldog was a bulldog smoking a cigar smoking a cigar was was just like that is just that is straight hollywood right there that's right over home plate i knew it was coming and when it happened i was like yes <laughs> perfect he's a bulldog smoking a cigar i am a little bummed because i you know due to the scheduling needs of this podcast and some other stuff i watched this like at 9 30 at night and my kids were in bed because I think this would have been fun to watch with the kids and see what they thought. And I do not have a hot take from any of my children on this. Um, I do have to give uh, a shout out to our friend Kevin Eldridge, who had been on our Commitments episode and uh, Wonder Woman episode, because he is the one who texted me on New Year's Eve, no less. <laughs> Uh, New Year's Eve, on New Year's Eve, I got a text from Kevin Eldridge uh, from the Flopcast saying the Shaggy DA has skateboarding in it. Well, bless him. Bless yeah. him. He must have had, like, I was having a pretty wild New Year's Eve myself watching uh, After the Thin Man <laughs> because I was like, I'm going to watch a movie that takes place on New Year's Eve on New Year's Eve because I'm home. Uh, and Cleo stayed up and we watched that together. Kevin and his wife, Felicity, uh, were, were clearly watching the Shaggy DA that night, too. And my hat is off to them because this movie has weirdly a lot going for it. This is not my favorite live ac action Disney offering. Um, I tend to be a little more partial to the Haley Mills oeuvre. <laughs> um, oh, like, man. I love that darn cat. I think that that darn cat is like a fantastic movie. Um, Dean Jones is also in in that one. 
Um, I think like in terms of performers in these live action Disney movies, like Jodie Foster is clearly super naturalistic and that he's on camera. You can tell like this, this person's going places. Um, even though like, like no, no one in the history of cinema had better diction than Haley Mills. It's true. Yeah. I, I, I was a big, I was a big Haley Mills fan as well. A lot of these movies, I experienced a lot of these movies uh, from having the Disney channel as a kid. We had like basic cable, but it came with one premium cable channel, which was HBO. And we also had the Disney channel, but I think it was like, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe the Disney channel was like something else during the day or skewed like way, way younger. And then it, Oh yeah, yeah. I lived in the woods growing up, and I did not have cable until way later. So I like I never had the Disney Channel, um, but I do think the Disney Channel got a lot of mileage out of showing these live action movies yeah. over and over again. Um, and I also think the reason you don't see movies like this in the theater anymore is because they're all made for the Disney Channel. Yes. Now, because there's a lot of like made for the Disney Channel kind of movies aimed at like eight to twelve year old kids. Uh like my daughter loves the descendants and the zombies and all of that stuff. So I I think like Disney has like moved production from like Wonderful World of Disney and there there probably isn't like uh well they can watch it in the matinee. I think I think they save the movie theater experience for like the big animated right. releases. But it do, it does make me a little wistful for when Disney would crank out a series of weird, mediocre, <laughs> gimmicky, slapst- slapstick-laden mediocrities. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I, it's it's another one of those weird movies where, like, it's like you said, I just decided to meet it where it was, and I just put it on, and I was like, this is great, in that it's just fine it's like whatever because <laughs> i watched the shaggy dog as well um and the shaggy dog is much slower and the shaggy dog spends a lot less time getting to the fireworks factory i feel like about tw- like as soon as he turns into that dog it's shenanigans or go in this movie right and he turns into the dog like eight minutes into the movie it's a- yes like immediately there's a lot of wacky chase scenes the police, the police come out in force to catch this dog. Oh yeah, There's like eight squad cars. They were not. They were not able to do anything about uh, Willby Daniels having his house robbed for six <laughs> hours straight. But if there's a dog on the loose, we're getting eight squad cars. Out. Look, if the DA, if the DA says I want that dog, Johnny Law is it comes 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 a calling. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at gleamingthetube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. Skateboarding is not a crime.